Well, the Lord surprised me twice recently. One with his topic, which he gave me. You know, I never just say, oh, I'm going to talk about this because I don't know. I get all these topics from reading the word. And the other one was the rain. That was a nice surprise. We got some good rain in Pleasanton. We thank him for that. But I'm going to call this uh, Build Each Other Up. And without going right into that, the word has a lot to say about doing the opposite of this. So I'm going to start with that first, and then we'll getting into building each other up. Let's just open in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, you put this topic on my heart. You know, it, it's a good one, good one for me at times as well. We, we just thank you for your word, Lord, and I pray that this would just be a blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> So I'm not going to get graphic here, but you all know in the last, say, month or so, there's been three, <clears throat> three horrible major incidents. And one was in Canada, um, like I think it was some Native Indians in that area were on a big crime spree. It was horrible. Thank God they're in custody or dead. And the second one was a man in Memphis who just went, lost his mind same thing, multiple crime scenes, and he was posting them and smiling live on Facebook, totally horrible. And the third one was in San Carlos, which is a sleepy little town next to Belmont and San Mateo. Just a horrible act occurred there, too. And, you know, we read them and we're just shocked. We say, how could anybody do that? I can't imagine. I would never do that. Probably everybody says that. But... I remember in the other building a few few years ago, Carl Knott said, I could do anything, any of these acts myself, including murder. And Bill McDonald, he says the exact same thing in his commentary because we have that sinful nature, which is always going to be with us until the Lord comes. So nobody is immune to any of these acts. And it's so easy to point out mistakes that other people make. We are great at that. We see them well, but we forget about the mistakes we made, but others can see them in us. We're experts in finding fault in others, but we're blind to what we've done ourselves. And remember, where's Brittany? Brittany, you shouldn't have done that. When I point my finger at Brittany, this was another curl knot. I have three fingers pointing back at myself. So that's a good thing when we do that. When we criticize somebody, two things are happening if you think about it. The person doing the criticizing, they may rub it in and get full of themselves, boasting, very prideful. And it gives them, who's ever doing the, you have a feeling of some kind of self-satisfaction or superiority when one criticizes another. And for some reason, the person doing the criticizing thinks he's empowered to judge others, and that's not true at all. Why people judge others is not right. And this is one thing I have been guilty in this once or twice in my past. Uh, when we do criticize something, could be something around the house. You criticize a person for doing that, a friend or whatever. But then 
when I do the same thing, somehow it's not as serious or I can justify what I've done. Oh, it's not that bad. I can fix this. It's true. Am I alone in this? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, good, good. I wanted to make sure I was just not talking about me. But Scripture says so much to say about this in a lot of places, and it's very important. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? That is pretty heavy. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What a word he uses. Jesus only used that word a couple times, that hypocrite, and he was always talking about the Pharisees, horrible, cocky people, and he compares us to the Pharisees when we do that. And when you think about, I do some working with wood and stuff, and you think about a speck of sawdust compared to even just a two by four, there's probably millions of specks when put together would not even make a portion of that two by four. So we're worrying about a speck in somebody's eye when we got a plank in our eye. This goes along with what the doctor shared this morning. It goes along with, he is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Who is the only one that can judge? And that is Jesus Christ. As the doctor said, we've all gone astray. So he is the judge, not, not us. And we can find an example of this. It's a long story. I'll just make it short. Uh, it's the story of David and Bathsheba, which you all know. <clears throat> David coveted Uriah's wife. He committed adultery, conspiracy, and murder of Uriah when he planned the plot to do that. Later, about a year later, and David had been just torn up inside with his sin and guilt and everything he did. He was just torturing himself. And that's when he wrote that beautiful Psalm 51. Many of us know it. You can read it later. Where he asked for forgiveness from the Lord. He repented. He confessed. And he asked for a clean and a new heart. So when we think about that sin he committed, the Lord sent Nathan, his good friend and his advisor, to pass this news on to Nathan. And Nathan did not back down. He didn't try to make his boss feel good. He did just the opposite. He told him exactly what the Lord put on his heart. Nathan told David of the rich man who had cattle and abundance, lambs, plenty of things, Yet he stole from a poor man this little prized ewe, and they loved the family loved this thing so much they would sleep with him. He was like part of the family. 
And the rich man took this little baby lamb and cooked it and gave it to a traveler for a meal. Both David and the rich man selfishly took something loved by another for their own purpose and pleasure. David reacted so strongly and judged what the rich man did. He burned with anger, but the rich man did the same thing as David did, but of course David didn't realize that. So when Nathan pointed this out to David, sternly said, you are that man, and David was completely floored. And that's what we do. We don't see our faults. David didn't see this, but, and then he went on to tell him what the Lord said. How could you do this? I gave you this, this, and this. But that's a long story. So David, he confessed, asked for forgiveness, and the Lord restored him, but he had a serious price to pay. There were consequences. One was the child with Bathsheba was killed. Anyway, so <clears throat> more on judgment in Romans 2 verses 1 and 3. It says, you therefore have no excuse. You have passed judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's just what I was talking about. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And the answer is no, we will not escape judgment. It's so convicting to read these passages, it makes about, you really think about some of the things you've said to other people and how you treat other people rather than we treat ourselves better than other people sometimes. We know the difference. It's not like a child who's like four years old. We know the difference from right and wrong too. So who are we to, to judge somebody else when we think they're wrong? Criticism does not build anybody up. It can be very harmful. It can lead to negative emotions, stress, anxiety, and depression and it can fester and ruin relationships. Paul asked in Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is not the great white throne. This is for believers. So we will be judged for this type of behavior for showing that. So now the good news. So rather than criticizing we should build each other up and encourage everybody rather than tear them down. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 11, <clears throat> it said, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. How encouraging is that when we go through life? We have trials, suffering, hardships, losses, persecutions. But the bottom line with all this is, as Jeff shared, all believers is whether we live or die, 
we may live together with him someday. And that is so encouraging. This is not the end of, of everything here. That is the big picture. We'll be with them someday, regardless of what we have to go through here. <clears throat> and here at SRVBC, we are doing a lot of this building up people, just like uh, Paul and James say in these verses I'm sharing. Look at the way we're building up the body. We're teaching with wisdom. We always Every speaker here always refers to scripture. There's no outside source anybody is using. We have constant fellowship with the saints. We pray for each other. We hear the saints' prayer request. We listen to others. And loving the family of God, which builds us up together. And there's so many ways that we have this building up in our assembly. One good one is we try to attend all the meetings. It's great to hear in the, on the men's side, to, and I'm sure the women is the same, to hear what other people are sharing, things we don't even know about there in their lives, who, who they're praying for their, in their lives. So it's always good when everybody can show up to the midweek meetings. We're blessed, <clears throat> and as Bill Murray has said often, make it any whenever you can, if possible, because you're always, if you're tired when you come, you're always blessed when you leave. It's a blessing. And we see now people are always available to serve, which is a blessing. For the harvest is much and the workers are few. It's few here. We have a group, we have to cover a lot of ministries every Sunday, and we like we, jo we jockey for people. Who's going to do the breaking of bread? Who's going to work security? Who's going to do this and that? So we have a lot of ministries. And it's great to see people different, people up here, Sunday, Rick and Dave, uh, and yours truly, talking, giving the word. It's great to hear their take on things. And we have other people joining the worship team, uh, the, the serving team back there. We see different people playing all the instruments. It's, it's such a blessing. It's too many to name. And we have Christiana, beautifully, she's upstairs, playing the piano, despite today having to pause for a few seconds because the rant's coming up on the keys. But she did a beautiful job. And it all starts when you come Sunday. The greeters are out there with a smile on their face, and they greet every, everybody. And when we get the one call, I get it, we get it. Jerry's phone, my phone, the house phone, so we get it like three times. But we're blessed because we know when we pray, stop to pray, we can realize that the whole church is praying with us at the same time for whatever message is on that one call. And we help each other out here with our God-given talents. We help people in the church. We do work in the church, of course, and we put what God gives us to use for the rest of the family. And when we don't have COVID times, which we're still kind of in it, variant after variant, we send um, a group of brothers or sisters when a woman is getting a procedure or a man is getting a procedure in the hospital, most of a lot of us here have received 
I had a surgery and many of us had seen this group come in. And we pray with the person, we have fellowship, uh, people make up a little gift bag. So it's, it's a blessing for that person. And it's a great witness to uh, the doctors and the nurses that some have said, what, what do you guys, you know, what's going on? Well, we're praying, you know, it's in the Lord's hands, we're praying for you guys when you take care of our brother and sister here. And another thing, and I know this from living where I live, everybody gets a card on their birthday, which is a, which is a nice blessing from the church. And we have all these events, the picnics, the ladies have bocce ball events. We have the Harvest Festival, which is a good outreach. We have the golf tournament, the Friday night groups, bike rides. All those events build up the body of believers and encouraging us where we can have fellowship without going out to some, you know, secular event. <clears throat> so James continues in the same chapter with more, with more guidance in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. What a blessing. Acknowledge those who work hard for us. Our leadership works hard for you. They care for you. I think the word says they have to give an account at the end. So we should pray for them and encourage them. They admonish us, but we should take the admonishments as positive correction. They're not criticizing or building us other when they give us a correction. Wary those, be wary of those who are idle and disruptive. You know, what led David down that start circling the drain. He stayed behind in the city when he sent his army out to fight, and he was very idle. He was, in, he was lounging in his bed, and, and maybe after dinner was when he went out on the roof to look at the girl next door. So he was idle, and that when he was idle, your eyes wander and your minds water, wander. So he says, he says, don't be idle, and encourage those who are idle. The disheartened, we have people going through all kinds of things, diseases, uh, financial things. We hear about those all the time. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. How often do we get short with somebody? We need to show patience. I need to show patience. <clears throat> strive to do good for each other and for everyone else. When he says strive, it should be always on my mind to do what he's with he's teaching here, not by tearing down, but by building up. In Ephesians, Paul writes, Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Who does that sound like? It only sounds like one person, that is Jesus Christ. 
He was humble, gentle, patient, and he bears with us in love. Totally Christ-like, and that's where we should have more of less of our behavior and more of his with those attributes. Paul again stresses these topics in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Amen. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what is new about this paragraph than the other ones? <clears throat> forgive as the Lord forgave you. How often do we not forgive another person? We dig in, but the last thing we do is forgive. And why should we do that? Because look what he forgave us for. Look at all the sins <clears throat> in this room. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Forgive your neighbor like he forgave us. He forgave us for all these sins. And he died and went on the cross for those sins that we have. So we should never... <clears throat> Say, well, I'm not going to forgive you for that. That's too bad of a thing you did. He stresses unity, not division, because we have this bond with the Holy Spirit. We have unity with Christ. There is no place for division in the church. And thank God we don't have any in this church. <clears throat> all the while, with all this going on, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. We know the enemy is always lurking about for us not to do any of these traits and to fail. If we criticize somebody, don't forgive them, the devil's got us right there and we're going down the wrong path. We have to confess those sins, turn around and get on the right path. <clears throat> so how about how we talk? You know, some of us, talk real quick, real fast. Uh, sometimes we talk without even thinking about what we're saying. <clears throat> James 1.19 says, My dear brothers, and take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We can be good at the exact opposite. We can be quick to anger. That's easy. Quick to speak, easy again, we have to defend ourselves. Why are you, why are you laughing, Caitlin? <laughs> have you been there? <laughs> uh, we all have. Quick to anger, we're slow to listen. We're do the opposite of what we're being told here. <clears throat> the, wor the word says, I think I have it in Proverbs, he is that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that restrains his lips is wise. That's good to remember the next time you hear your, your blood boiling. Take a deep breath. And as I said, our speech should be Christ-like, not arrogant, not boasting with humil humility, and not coarse language. 
So we have a couple of short examples in scripture about this. Another proverb says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise <clears throat> adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The Lord is the perfect example for this. When he was interrogated, there were several Romans that had him. They moved him around and asked him a lot of questions. And he had every right. We all would defend ourselves and say, you know, I have a defense. No, this didn't happen. It's, you're giving me a false accusation. But he was calm the whole time. He would not even dignify their charges. And look at everybody else was angry. The crowds, the soldiers, the Jewish leaders, they were incensed. They took a prisoner, a murderer, a thief instead of Jesus. They'd rather have him. But Jesus never lashed out and went to the cross, as it says in Isaiah 53, like a sheep going to slaughter. So that's an example how to behave calmly and not lose our temper. Speaking of a hot temper, David, one time, he had a hot temper. He did a big favor for Nabal. He protected his property, his flocks. He gave provided and protection. So later on, <clears throat> he went through and David asked, hey, you know, can I just pass through your land? You do me a favor here. And Nabal had a short memory because he just basically rejected David and his entourage that David sent. He said, forget you. So David was on a mission to kill Nabal, and there would probably have been a lot of bloodshed. Abigail <clears throat> heard about this, and what a blessing she was. She, came, she stayed calm. She came with gifts for David, a lot of fruits and uh, breads and things. And she calmed a deadly situation. She was very polite to David, very respectful. She listened. She used wisdom, patience, respect, and praise to David to calm him. It sounds like this man here, when he ever talks to you, David is, or Adel is calm, respectful, and he gets his point across when he corrects us politely and needed. And what happened? How many people were killed? Zero. David left peacefully. He turned Nabal's sins into the Lord and let the Lord deal with it. And the Lord is a judge. He's letting the, the Lord judge Nabal. And another thing on this, sometimes out of nowhere, the Lord sends godly people into a situation to strengthen and build up and encourage us. And that is true, you know. Our family had a, a big, unspoken the other day. <clears throat> and it was answered. Our prayer was answered. But, <clears throat> you know, Sherry was at the shopping center and she has a sticker on her car that says, I can do all things who strengthens me. And she doesn't remember anybody seeing that because she had the, uh, the trunk up and this lady out of nowhere came up and uh, 
said to Sherry, you know, you look like you got something on your mind. Are, are you worried about something? And uh, Sherry said, no, we have, we're just praying about something. And she, the lady gave her a little thing and said, the Lord is with you in this. And then she disappeared. It's almost like an angel. But the Lord brought this other woman into Sherry's life to encourage her. And that was a blessing. And then talk about restoration. This is the primo story of restoration in the Bible. And we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know the man. I don't know him. No, I'm not with him. Leave me alone. And then later, Jesus at the campfire or the breakfast said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, and that three times. He answered a little different words each time, but he said, yes, Lord. You know, I already, already said that. I love you. And then what did Jesus do? Did he criticize? Did he tear him down? Did he uh, judge him? None of that. He said, <clears throat> feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and follow me. What a, what a blessing. <clears throat> He restored Peter so much that Peter was on fire for the Lord. He just, at the end of his life, years later, he wanted to die for the Lord, and he goes, I'm not even fit to be crucified. Like the, He wanted to be crucified upside down. So Jesus restored Peter in a way that he became useful. He built him up rather than tearing him down. And I just have this little poem, little poem in closing, it says, <clears throat> encourage one another, hold someone up in prayer, let others know how much for them you really care. Listen to their problems, feel their aches and pains, help them to see that Jesus has his hand on the reins. Help them to be stronger in their trust and belief, assure them with the Holy Spirit will bring their soul relief. Encourage one another, support the downtrodden. People just need to know they haven't been forgotten. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. No matter what we're going through, Lord, we can turn to your word and see these examples set by you and others about how you encourage others, build them up rather than tear them down. We pray that we would follow your instruction today. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen.